podcast series for the Angaza Awards sponsored by the Kenyan Wall Street. We're talking today with Rahel Musioki, a 2022 top 10 woman, woman to watch in banking and finance, and um, a healthcare consultant in Africa, and the business, former business development manager, Kathy and Tiba. Welcome, Rahel, and congratulations on your Angaza Awards recognition. Thank you, Marita. I'm really happy to be here and looking forward to this conversation. Great. Um, so just to start us off, um, so I'd just like to get some insights from you in terms of how COVID has shifted the insurance sector market uh, practices across Africa, as well as consumer preferences and sentiments on insurance since COVID. Thank you for that question, Marita. Um, so I will do it in three ways, or I'll answer it in three ways. Um, so I'll talk about the three different stakeholders in the healthcare industry. That is the consumer, the healthcare provider, and the insurance provider, the healthcare insurance provider. So I'll start with the healthcare insurance provider. Uh, when COVID hit, um, obviously, you are aware that um, hospitals were accepting or the healthcare providers were accepting patients who are affected by COVID, but then insurance was not paying for the services that were being incurred uh, during the stay, during the hospital stay, which was quite unfortunate. So with time, they had to realize that they are losing uh, the value that they normally offer to consumers or scheme members. So they had to rethink um, about you know, how to offer value additions to cover these scheme members um, if in case they fall ill, if in case they get affected with COVID. So they had to come up with products, they had to come up with packages, and this was an opportunity for them to actually grow their numbers. Because if you if if you know this um, about the healthcare industry in Kenya, uh, majority of individuals do not have private health care insurance. Most of them have public health care insurance, but not private. Um, and obviously, public was not covering COVID, so it was just private health care insurance. Um, and and right now the percentage is about three percent. So the healthcare insurance obviously did not want to lose their scheme members they wanted to add value they had to rethink about ways of adding value to the scheme members and to also get more numbers so you had to come up with products different products that were obviously um affordable or were value-based for the consumers uh, for their scheme members um, and also new products or new packages that they could sell to um new individuals, individuals who could join um, their scheme or the, the, the insurance provider as scheme members. So the, obviously for the healthcare insurance providers, they had to rethink, they had to rethink their way, their ways, they had to rethink how they conduct business because they do want to lose or they could not afford to lose the current clients that they have. As you are well aware, um, this fact that a majority of people do not like private or do not um, actually purchase private healthcare insurance. Um, and it's, it's because of different reasons. And the major reason it's because um, it's not affordable. And also if someone does not fall ill or you don't have a prevalent disease or um, a, a, an ailment that uh, you have for life, you do not need to have healthcare insurance. So this was a way for the healthcare insurance to just rethink insurance and to repurpose that message about insurance and what insurance actually means because insurance is 
to protect individuals against uh, such incidences when they come up or such uh, instances where someone falls ill all of a sudden and you have to go to hospital and you cannot pay or you're not able to afford uh, the medical services. So the insurance companies obviously had to come up with different messaging. They had to come up with the different products and the different packages. And it worked for majority of them. Uh, but then um, the thing is, this was opportunistic. So after the opportunity has ended because COVID obviously is slowly dying away, but I'm not sure if it's gone away completely. So after uh, COVID is over, what is next? Um, will you still keep the same clients? Will you grow your client base as an insurance provider? What is next? So this was an opportunity. Obviously, majority of them uh, or most of them, uh, you know, it was an advantage for them and they got new clients, obviously means higher premiums or uh, the premium was quite high. So that's how for the insurance providers, um, they, they had to change their focus. And then for the consumers or for the individuals, um, they had to obviously now think of healthcare insurance as a need rather than a want. Because um, as I said earlier, um, individuals or uh, people like me, they do not take up healthcare insurance as long as they know they, they will never fall ill. So if I know I, I will never fall ill or I do not have a prevalent disease or ailment, they, they will take up healthcare insurance. But if they don't have that, they don't need to take up or they feel they don't need to take up healthcare insurance. Um, so with COVID, um, obviously the need was accelerated um, and the uptake for individuals was quite high. And their preference uh, for packages or for products that would be beneficial to them or they feel or they what they felt was value based or what they feel are value based um, are packages that cover them for other ailments or other other needs, other medical needs that they might have. But then COVID uh, testing and COVID um, hospitalization would be part of that package. So that is what was value-based for them. So they, when you're browsing when as an individual, as you're browsing through all these medical products in the market, those are the main things that you would look at. So value-based, so is it is it a value-based product? Does it have all these um, value additions? But then the price is also uh, a factor because I mean, uh, as a consumer, you obviously price is one of the factors that will determine whether you're going to choose a product or a service. So pricing and also value-based. And then for the healthcare providers, um, they had to obviously look at the cost uh, that they offer or rather this, the cost of the services um, for such ailments because this was something new. This was a pandemic, is a pandemic. And obviously when someone gets hospitalized, they need all this care, um, high quality of care um, and a lot of, you know, um, medical uh, services are is required or are they are required for an individual to get back to uh, normalcy or to get back their health. So for the healthcare providers, obviously, they had to look at the cost of uh, services of commodities and how they can make it quite affordable for even people who do not have insurance. And I would actually say for some of the healthcare providers, they came up with packages, especially for the testing part, and came up with packages that were quite affordable for individuals to actually go in and just get the services um, for testing and for hospitalization as well. So again, it was opportunistic for um, the healthcare providers, but then 
the opportunity was good for them because they also had to rethink the way they offer services to consumers so that they have obviously more traffic because at the end of the day, most hospitals are commercialized. So you had to think about how to attract individuals to visit their facilities and to get high quality services. And then after that, what would happen? So um, most actually most, I will say, and I'm saying this very uh, carefully, most um, most most let me say most stakeholders normally do not think about the after uh care or let me say after after all this opportunity is over what is next uh will this individual still want to visit my hospital will this individual still want to use my insurance services so most most stakeholders do not think about the after part they only think about the what is happening right now so they end up losing um some of the individual or some individuals drop off because they feel they have gotten the services that they need and then they drop off but then um this obviously as i said uh there was a lot of refocus there's a lot of rethinking there was a lot of you know thinking about how to manage costs for individuals and also to um commercialize uh this uh, particular opportunity in a very sustainable way and in a way that will make it um you know very valuable for the consumer at the end of the day. Thank you. Thank you, Rahel. Shifting gears, I'd like to touch on your Pan-African experience. So what are some of the trends you have seen in pay-as-you-go health insurance? Yeah, so for the pay-as-you-go uh, insurance, it has, it has morphed um in different ways over the few years the recent years and this has been um because of different factors so obviously covid which i've just talked about um with the insurance organizations coming up with different products that are value based that are bundled uh, where they offer different services um but then covid testing and covid hospitalization is part of it um but then in terms of uh, the trend, especially with individuals, they are looking at um, uh, products that, again, value-based, again, that uh, insurance providers will actually give them more services rather than the normal services that they normally get, so outpatient, inpatient, dental, optical, so more services than those ones or more benefits than the ones that I've just mentioned. So what are the additional services or additional benefits that they can get? And I'll give an example. Uh, some of the insurance companies have come up with these uh, packages where you have uh, the funeral expense. So after, after someone uh, passes away, unfortunately, the family would get a, a, a a payout that would enable the funeral expenses to be paid. So that is value for the customer at the end of the day. So I'm not just getting the services um, that you, you pointed out to me. So the patient, inpatient, dental, you're getting more than that. So funeral services or funeral expenses. Some uh, also get uh, life insurance. So life insurance in different um, categories. So either funeral expenses um, or a payout to the family um, 
you know, like a life insurance sort of package that will enable the family to, you know, just continue with their lives, even maybe after a primary giver has unfortunately passed away. So that is one of those, that is one of the trends that I've seen. The other trend that I've seen is uh, payment in installments. So individuals want to actually, they feel that they need to pay for healthcare insurance, but then they cannot afford the installment at one go. As we are well aware, a majority of insurance companies, healthcare insurance companies, and um, when they are selling their products, they have to, the individual has to pay the premium at one go. So if it's uh, $200, they have to pay at one go. Uh, $1,000, they have to pay at one go for the full year. But then insurance companies have talked, some of them have talked to these individuals and they've thought about ways of retaining these individuals. And one of the trends that I've seen is pay me, paying in installments. So I can pay for my premium, let's say for the first six months, then before the six month elapses, I pay for the rest um, of the installment so that I'm also covered because I mean, you know, insurance is a risk. I do not, the individual will not want to get sick or get ill, unfortunately, and they have to visit a facility and then they can only, the, the claim payout can only be up to a certain amount. So, I mean, because of that risk, then you have the individual has to make sure that their premium is paid up to the full amount so that they are able to receive all the services or all the benefits that have been allocated for that particular uh, package that they have paid for. So those are the two new trends that I have seen. Um, for the pay, uh, the installment one, it has not been working uh, that well, according to some of the insurance providers, because some members or some scheme members will default and they will not finish the installment. So that's obviously a loss to the insurance provider. But then they are thinking, the insurance providers are again rethinking of ways on how to ensure that when an individual has started paying in installments, um, they, they know how to keep on reminding them even to start paying small um, small uh, an am small amounts each and every each each and every day or each and every month for them to actually finish the full payment. So those are the two trends. I think both of them are working the way they are intended to work, but obviously there are a lot of improvements that need to happen so that all the stakeholders involved obviously benefit at the end of the day. Yeah. Rahel, in addition to the trends you have mentioned and, and witnessed, what are some of the recent innovations that um, you'd like to highlight in health and fintech, notable recent innovations? Yeah, so in the fintech space, uh, now we, or rather from even from my former, in, in my former, uh, with my former employer, uh, what we had come up with or what we thought about, and this is again based on consumer trends and based on consumer feedback, um, how they can actually access or have visibility of all insurance products that are in the market at one go and make a decision at one go. So how can we provide a platform or a way in which these consumers or individuals can actually get all this information at one go and then make a decision? We are well aware that uh, 
most insurance uh, is sold through the traditional method where you have an, um, what are they called? Financial advisors. I think that's what they're called. Financial advisors or agents, insurance agents coming, knocking at your door. And then, you know, you get all this information. And most of the time, the insurance agent will just be for one particular insurance company. But then it's very rare to get one agent who has information about all the insurance companies and all the products that they offer. So how do we leverage on technology um, to have all this information on a platform where anyone or everyone can access and then they get all this information, read all this information and then make a decision and purchase the cover that they want to purchase. Yeah, so um, that's that's actually one of the new uh, technologies that is is currently, um, let me say, raving in the market. Um, distribution of insurance products. So, putting everything in one space, putting everything together, and then a consumer goes in, reads all the information, and then makes a decision, and then pays um, using mobile money and mobile money or any other form of payment, uh, obviously that is online. And then no, no uh, documentation required. You know, the policy documents that uh, you normally have to go through and read and sign at the end. So removing all that, so removing all these barriers and just making it as simple, as intuitive as possible for individuals to actually get all this information, buy and you know enjoy the services that uh, come with the products that they will purchase. So yeah, that's 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 one of the technologies I think that is currently raving right now in the market. So we've seen a lot of um, entrepreneurship um, firms, fintech entrepreneurship firms emerging in Africa, and um, given your experience in this space and uh, your work with um, consulting with various firms in Africa. So what would you tell our audience uh, it takes? What does it take to succeed in fintech space? And what should every fintech entrepreneur know as they set out or even as they continue on this journey? That's a very good question, Marita. Um, and, and actually, that's a conversation I had recently on my podcast as well. And when I was talking to this individual, when I was interviewing them, they actually now validated what I've been thinking all along. So the first thing that all entrepreneurs need to know, I know, you know, people always come up with these ideas or they sit in a boardroom and they think about all these ideas and they're like, oh my goodness, this idea will actually change the world and it will do um, amazing things and it will create certain opportunities, which is great. But then have you done your research? Have you gone to the ground, talked to the people, gotten the experience? Um, have you tested this particular solution, this particular product, this particular service? Have you tested it with just a small group to see whether this particular solution is viable or not? So number one, research. Research. And research also, um, it, it, the other process that is involved in research is looking at other fintech um, entrepreneurs or, fin or technology uh, solutions that have been in introduced into the market or different markets that are similar to what this or your fintech is trying to introduce. Have you looked at maybe the 
case studies or the use cases and what happened maybe when they were doing a pilot, what lessons did they learn um, and all that. So research is quite broad. Uh, I might not even have said everything, but you have to research. Think about the consumer at the end of the day. Sometimes when um, these people or majority of uh, entrepreneurs sit in the boardroom, they have these grand ideas but then they think about, oh, this this is my idea and it will do well. But do you think at the what what the end consumer or the person who will be using that service, what at what will they be thinking? Will they like this service? You know, and that's why research is very important. Testing uh, number two, which is part is actually one B testing. So you test this solution, test this product, test it fast in the market, test it with a small group of people. And that's why pilots are very important. And, you know, pilot it with, um, you know, an organization or with stakeholders that you know will give you the best result, not just testing for the sake of testing, test it with people who've been there before, people who know how to, you know, push this particular solution or product into the market in a way that you know, will give you the results that will actually help you make that uh, decision on whether to launch this product into the market or not. And then number two, adaptability. Um, majority of solutions that are in the market, I will say, are from other uh, markets, mostly European markets, American markets. Um, and, and I mean, we appreciate that and I appreciate that because those are solutions that have been tested and tried in those markets. and all these people who are coming into the African market think that these solutions will work. If it works in the, those markets, it will work in the African market. But that's not necessarily the case. Um, so when you get into the African market, you first need to understand, number one, the culture of the people. You know, In the European market and the American markets, having a mobile phone and using it everywhere you go, it's normal because there's you know, Wi-Fi everywhere or you know, uh, internet is everywhere. Um, easily accessible. But then when you come into Africa, uh, not everyone has a smartphone. So they will not access internet very easily. Not everyone wants to download an app on their phone to access a service. People want to, people want convenience. People want to walk into a shop or a service center and get the service that they want. They want uh, ease, ease, ease of access uh, and convenience as well. So understand the culture of the people understand exactly what they would want and adapt to it rather than bringing your ways and what you think your ways are from the other markets and pushing it, almost shoving it to the people and hoping that this solution will work. So adaptability, do the testing, do the research, adapt, learn the culture, um, learn the ways of the people and hopefully your product or your solution will work in the African market. But I will say there's no one size fits all. We are all learning. So if you're open and flexible, then, you know, it will work for you. And I'll repeat uh, a phrase that um, uh, a friend of mine uh, who's a CEO in one of the largest healthcare insurance companies in Ghana said, keep it simple, keep it practical, keep it real. Yes. Wow, very great um, yeah. advice. Any final thoughts to share? Yes. Um, so I'm I'm very passionate, and I and I and I believe if if um, 
you know, people have gone through my profiles, they know how passionate about, uh, I am about healthcare and accessibility of affordable healthcare. And there's this buzzword that keeps, it's just, it's just suckling in the air. So universal healthcare coverage. And majority of governments want to um, achieve that, which is quite commendable. And I can see majority of the governments actually doing something about it. But then it goes to the extreme side of being politicized, which is quite unfortunate. But then again, on the private uh, private side, uh, with the private stakeholders, um, one thing I would love um, to see to see more of is having these conversations. Yes, but then implementing. And um, when we sit in those forums, when we sit in those conferences, when we sit in roundtables to talk about all these things about the private healthcare industry or the healthcare industry actually in general, and we talk about all the ills and all the challenges that are facing, especially the African markets, majority of the African markets, because our issues are the same or challenges are the same. What are we doing about it? What are we doing to go beyond um, the challenges that we're talking about? Because the power is in our hands. The power is within us we can do something about it i know it's not easy because of a poly, pol, politicized part but then there are some things that we can still do to achieve this universal healthcare coverage so i think let's do more i love the talk but let's do more of the implementation let's see a change in the healthcare industry because i mean we all know healthcare is a need and we need to you know get to that place that we keep on saying we need to get to so I'd love to see more of that, more of implementing, and hopefully we'll achieve this uh, universal healthcare coverage and have more um, individuals access affordable healthcare. Thank you, Rahel. Thank you so much for your time. We have learned a lot from you on the various emerging trends in the insurance sector, specifically healthcare. And um, you have um, finished your conversation on that. Um, giving us a challenge, giving the sector, um, our various people a challenge on that we need to focus on implementation more than, so more implementation and less talk. Um, we congratulate you once again for your Angaza Awards recognition, and we look forward to celebrating your achievements in June during the 2022 Angaza Awards ceremony. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marita. Thank you. This was really great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.